following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Looking this morning in uh, Numbers uh, 23 and 24, if you want to turn your Bibles there, we'll actually kind of read the passage as as we work our way through it, so I won't read it to start. Um, let's just uh, pray as we begin. Father, we do thank you that you are a God who speaks and you reveal yourself to your people. Um, and it's your grace that you, you want to speak to us. And so, Lord, we gather this morning believing that you will speak to our hearts through your spirit. And, Lord, it's not about uh, me as the messenger. It's about your word and your truth. And so we pray that you would anoint your word with your spirit and you would touch every heart. And you would give us ears to hear, each one of us, what you would have to say to us, what what you would speak to us uh, from your word and by your truth to encourage and strengthen and build up your body. So we trust in you and seek you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, The song, well, the, the... the psalm we read talks about Og and, um, oh, I forget the other guy, two kings that the Israelites defeated. Um, and I didn't really mention this last week, but it's a relevant point that ties into the story of Balaam and Balak. If you're here last Sunday, you know we started talking about Balaam, uh, uh, who was commissioned or summoned by the king of the Moabites, uh, Balak, to come curse Israel. Now, part of what's significant about this is that uh, in chapter 21, where uh, the Israelites defeat Og and Sihon. That's the other guy's name, Sihon. You know, those guys. Um, uh, what was significant is that Moab up to that point had been under the control of those kings. Right? So when Israel defeated them, he actually, they actually liberated the Moabites. And this is the thanks and gratitude they get. Right? King Balak decides to find a way to curse Israel. So we looked last week that he sent a, uh, to this world-renowned sorcerer named Balaam who had a reputation for being able to call down curses on people that were effective. Now, in, in our very modern scientific uh, age, we, we don't really think of words having this kind of power. right? Now, now certainly we, we wish things. Like, we have enemies, to be honest. Don't you sometimes wish bad things upon them? Sometimes we do. We think, oh, you know, may their camel be infested with a thousand fleas kind of thing. Right? We, um, but we don't actually say that. Right? We, don't actually, we wouldn't say, you know, curse you and have some idea that, that it would happen. But in, in, the, the, in ancient times, they really believed that words had power. And, uh, and so a lot of superstition, and, and even in our day, some of those superstition, superstitious traditions that carried over, and so we still talk about blessing and cursing. Uh, um, but as we will see, uh, the only one who can bless is the God who blesses. And I'm sorry I don't have a, a full outline this morning, uh, but the title, God who blesses, there's only one who can bless. As we want to look at, at this God who blesses um, and, and think about what it means in terms of Israel, but also in terms of our own life. And, and really, what is a blessing? What does it mean to be blessed? Ultimately, it means to have a life that is full of joy and gladness, right? And that's really what uh, that's what we're all pursuing in life. 
Uh, marketing has figured this out. And uh, the, the, the rude principle of marketing and advertising is that you can't really be truly happy unless you have this product. And maybe it's toothpaste. Like for people around you, that might be true, right? That bad breath is not happiness for them. Uh, but the, at the root of it is, is this sense of joy and gladness. So what we want to do today is look looks like as he pours out his blessings on Israel, uh, this people who don't deserve it. And again, the placement of this uh, story of Balaam is, is amazing because previous to this was all kinds of rebellion and sin. Right immediately following this is more rebellion and sin. And sandwiched in between Israel's stubborn rebellion and refuse, refusal to follow God, God is doing what? He's blessing them. Uh, so let's look at, at um, uh, Balaam as he has um, cursed Israel, but somehow the curse just can't come out of his mouth. So let's start by beginning uh, reading uh, 23 verse 1. And Balaam said to Balak, uh, so it's a little background, he's brought, Balaam is this far country about 400 miles away, and he's brought him up where he can see and look at least at part of the that, that he can't actually see all of them at one time. It gives you an idea of, this is not just a small, here's seven altars and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. Balak did as Balaam had said. And Balak's, Balaam said to Balak, stand beside your burnt offering and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me and whatever he shows me, I will tell you. Height, And God met Balaam and Balaam said to him, I've arranged the seven altars and I've offered on each altar a bull and a ram. And the Lord put a word in Balaam and said, Return to Balak and thus you shall speak. And he returned to him and behold, he and all the princes of Moab were standing beside his burnt offering. And Balaam took up his discourse and said, Balak has brought me the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Come, curse Jacob for me. And come, denounce Israel. How can I curse not denounced? For from the top of the crags I see him. From the hills I behold him among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright. Let, me, let my end be like this. And Balak said to Balaam, What have you done to me? I told you to curse my enemies, and behold, you have done nothing but bless them. And he answered and said, Must I not take care to speak what the Lord, Yahweh, puts into my mouth? Um, so, so Balak has brought Balaam, and uh, Balaam goes through some ceremony and ritual to prepare for hearing from God. And as we saw last week, uh, God uh, was very clear in communicating to Balaam that he could only speak the words the Lord gave him. So he prepares through uh, offering this offering, building seven altars, offering on them a bull and a ram. It would have been a fairly expensive sacrifice in those days. Uh, the bulls and rams were at the top of kind of the what you would pay for an offering. Uh, and it was fitting and appropriate. Now, we don't know what it meant to Balak or Balaam. Uh, we don't know what these offerings meant. But certainly at some level, they, they understood that they needed to win God's favor. Um, uh, they also are commanded to stand by the offering, 
Uh, we don't exactly know what, what this meant, but it could have implied identifying with the offering or coming under its cover. And, and while they're standing beside their offering, which is burning before God, uh, Balaam goes off and it says he goes to a high place, uh, probably a remote area separate away from where he is alone. And his goal is here not to uh, manipulate God. His goal is not to convince God to curse Israel. Uh, he, he goes uh, to simply uh, hear if God would speak to him. Hear what, what God's plan was for Israel. And so far, Balaam is good to his word. He's only going to speak what God speaks to him. And so he goes and God does meet with him. And God says, puts his word in Balaam's mouth. And he gives this oracle, this, this prophetic utterance, a word. And he comes back to, to, to Balak. And, um, and he says, and, the, and he gives this, this, this oracle. And it's, if in, in your Bible, it may be kind of offset, not normal paragraph font. That's because it's given in Hebrew poetry. And I, I would love to give a whole class on Hebrew poetry right now, but I won't. Uh, but Hebrew poetry basically is parallel lines that have um, words or ideas that, that kind of run together. So from uh, Aram, Balak has brought me the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Those kind of go together. Uh, and Aram was, was uh, Balaam's hometown some 400 miles away. Uh, and uh, he says that the purpose of this was so that uh, um, Balaam would curse Israel. Um, uh, but uh, God's answer through Balaam is this. How can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I curse whom God has not cursed? Uh, what's significant about this is that in a, in a time and an age when they believed human words could curse, and, and from a guy who makes his living doing this, right? this is what Balaam did for a living. Balaam got paid to go curse people or bless people. And so this is from a guy who makes his living doing this. And what he says is, look, I can't bless anything that God does not bless. And this, in this uh, revelation from God, he makes a, an amazing declaration that God alone has the power to bless and curse. Uh, what matters is not what people say, but what God says. And he says, look, I can't, I can't override. I can't overpower. My words are meaningless and worthless uh, when, when we come under and see the God who alone has power to bless. God alone can do this. And he confesses, look, I could say anything, but it wouldn't mean anything if God hasn't said it first. Um, God alone has the power to bless. Uh, do we really believe that? Right? Maybe we don't believe our human words can bless and curse, but do we really believe that ultimately our lives are in God's power? Right? That uh, joy and gladness in, in our life depends on God showing favor to us. God looking at us with an eye of blessing or cursing. Of course, when we look at this in terms of the, of the whole uh, of Scripture, uh, we remember all the way back to Genesis chapter uh, 2 and 3 when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And what was the result of, or consequence of their sin? Did God bless them as a result of their rebellion against Him? Well, of course not. We know that Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve fell under a curse. 
Uh, now, God didn't speak a curse on them uh, directly, but, but, but he put a curse on them. And that curse was the curse, the consequences, the result of sin. And the ultimate consequence of, of sin was what? Death. Right? Death. Adam and Eve died. And, and since then, all humanity has lived under the curse of God. So in a very real sense, when God looks at all humanity, uh, there's a sense in which all humanity is under the eye of God's curse, God's judgment because of sin. Um, but we see that God also uh, can choose, as we looked last week, by his favor and his grace to show blessing on those who don't deserve it. To, to, to act towards people who deserve a curse uh, with his grace, gracious blessing and favor. And certainly that's what God has done here for Israel. It says, from the tops of the crags I see him, that is Israel. Uh, from the hills I behold him. So Balaam is on this mountaintop looking down and he sees these people. Uh, and he says, they are a people dwelling alone, not counting itself or themselves among the nations. This is a picture of the uniqueness of Israel. God says, I look down from the heights and I see Israel in a unique place of blessing. And he chose through Abraham to, to, to bless them. Uh, and of course, we know that the blessing wasn't only for Israel, that, that God would, he promised, bless all the nations through Israel. But God, God chose to start uh, with Abraham and then with his offspring and descendants to bless them. And so, um, first round, um, Balak is, is a little disappointed because instead of getting a curse, uh, Balaam speaks a blessing. It's a kind of a generic blessing, but uh, at, at the core of it, uh, he says, that, look, joy and gladness come from God. Right? Uh, God alone can do this. I have no power to change what God's going to do. And so the first thing that's important for us is to know that um, you know, blessing, joy and gladness come from God. Um, and a good thing to reflect about in, in, in our life is uh, what matters most to us? What people say and think or what God says and thinks? Right? We don't believe, maybe we don't believe people can curse us. Maybe somebody comes up to and says, curse you or whatever. And we may believe that that word doesn't have power. But it's amazing how much power we give to people's words, right? Uh, how much of our behavior and our feelings are wrapped up in what other people say or think. Um, maybe in a sense we do believe that people can bless and curse us by their opinions and their thoughts about us. Uh, but we're, are we like Balaam, where we would say, well, that doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't matter what people's opinions are. What matters is what God thinks. Because He alone has the power to bring joy and blessing into my life. Uh, and by the way, what does God speak? Maybe we're a little nervous about what God would speak because we know we're a sinner and we know we deserve a curse. And so maybe we're a little nervous that uh, if we really ask God what He would speak to us, He would scold us or yell at us. Because right? maybe that's what we would do. Uh, but, uh, but the point here is that Israel, though they deserve cursing, got what? God's blessing. The same is true of us. What does God speak to us? Well, in Christ, He speaks blessing. One of the most amazing chapters in the Bible, uh, I think, is Ephesians chapter 1. 
And it's really tempting to go off right now and just go through the whole chapter 1 of Ephesians. Uh, I won't do that because we don't have time. But it begins this way. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then he goes on and for about 12 more verses, he names and just fires off blessing after blessing after blessing that we have in Christ. Good news. If you are God's children, if you put your faith in Jesus, the word that God speaks to you is blessing. You are blessed in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Amen? That's good news. Uh, And that's where Israel is. Right? So even in spite of all their behavior, when, when Balaam speaks for God, what he speaks is what? Blessing. Blessed is Israel who comes under God's favor. Um, well, that didn't go so well. And I, I love, I love uh, Balak's persistence. If we can give anything to Balak, it's that he, he is persistent. right? Like there's some lesson in here about persevering in prayer or something. I don't know, maybe. But, um, but he says, verse 13, he says, okay, that didn't work. So verse 13, Balak said to Balaam, Please come with me to another place from which you may see them. You shall see only a fraction of them and shall not see them all. Then curse them from me from there. And he took him to the field of Zophim on top of Pisgah and built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. And Balaam said to Balak, Stand here beside your burnt offering while I meet the Lord over there. And the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, Return to Balak. And thus shall you speak. And he came to him, and behold, he was standing beside his burnt offering, uh, and the princes of Moab with him. And Balak said to him, What has the Lord spoken? And Balaam took up his discourse. Um, so, same routine, same basic structure. Got to offer the offerings, they, they sacrifice the bulls. Uh, Balak and his uh, princes stand beside the offering, and Balaam goes off and seeks God. And God gives him another word, right? Another word. Expanded version, as we'll see in a moment. Uh, what's really interesting in this passage is that it may be tempting to think that Balak is just not listening. Like, like he's just hard of hearing. And, and, you know, that he didn't hear that God's saying, look, I'm not cursing them. Uh, all they get is blessing. But, but what's uh, kind of telling is that ba- Balak is listening. Right? And, and the telling sign is this. He says, he says, um, in his conversation with, with, with Balaam, he says, let's go to another place uh, and maybe the Lord, the Lord, that is, maybe Yahweh will, will curse them there. Now, uh, in, in, in that time, especially Baal worshippers, Canaanites would have called God El or Elion. Right? But he uses the, the Hebrew word for, for God, uh, Yahweh or Jehovah. And, and uh, that's the word that Balaam has been using. Right? So he's paying attention a little. See, that's important because we'll come, we'll come back to that, why that's important. But he's, he's paying attention, but he doesn't like the results. Right? So maybe if I get a better angle, maybe the problem was the lighting was wrong or something. And of course, when you're superstitious, all this stuff matters. Right? So maybe we get a different angle. You're going to see a different view of them. The light's a little different. Maybe it'll work uh, from a different vantage point. So they go... And God gives uh, Balaam another word. And notice what, and here's what he says. Rise, Balak, and hear. Give ear to me, son, O son of Zippor. God is not man that he should lie. 
or a son of man that he should change his mind? Has, has he said, and will he not do it? Has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Behold, I receive a command to bless. He is blessed, and I cannot revoke it. He has not beheld misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord, Yahweh, is their God, and he is with them, and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt and is for them like the horns of the wild ox. For there is no enchantment against Jacob, no divination against Israel. Now it shall be said of Jacob and Israel, What has God wrought? Behold, a people, as a lioness, it rises up, and as a lion, it lifts itself. It does not lie down until it has devoured the prey and drunk the blood of the slain. Uh, amazing uh, declaration of some of God's attributes and character and what it means for God to bless from this pagan sorcerer. It's amazing. And the first thing he says to him, well, he says, first of all, be like, you need to stand up because you need to brace yourself. Arise, stand up. Get ready because there's some word coming that's going to bowl you over. And his first uh, word is that God is not man that he should lie or change his mind. Right? Balaam thought maybe if he got to a different point, a different vantage point, if he aligned things properly, that somehow this Yahweh God, who, who is the source of blessing, he was okay with that, that's fine. God can be the one who blesses and curses. Uh, but he wrongly thought that God could change his mind. That God could be convinced to somehow rethink his take on Israel. Now, if, if, if Balak knew the history of Israel... I think he could make a good case for this. But the problem is not the lighting or the angle. I think he could have started listing how obnoxious these people were. Right? If I was Balak, I would have done some more research in history. And I would have said, God, look what these people deserve. They're horrible. They have mistreated you. They have, they have uh, disregarded your commands. They're not following you. They've been nothing but complain. Um, he actually could have some good reasons to get God to change his mind. But Balaam confidently asserts, God does not change. God does not change his mind. Because he is not like us. He's not like us. Um, uh, recent statistics tell us that the average person, I'm assuming in the West, maybe not in, in Asia, but in the West, the average person will change careers five to seven times during their working life. Okay, so in 30 or 40 years, whatever a person works, during that time, they'll change careers five to seven times. Uh, that's, that's, that's a lot of changing your mind. Right? That's a lot of changing your mind. But get this, that's not the end of it. Uh, recent statistics show that um, approximately 30% of the workforce will now change jobs every 12 months. Every 12 months, right? That's a lot of changing your mind. Right? We, and, and, and the reason is that we want to be happy... And, and we are pursuing joy, right? People want a life that's fulfilling. They want work that's fulfilling. They want um, all the things that they think money will bring that will make them happy. But the reality is we don't really know what makes us happy. And so we pursue this and we get it and it's disappointing. So we think, well, that, that, was the wrong, that was the wrong mountaintop, right? We're just like Balak. Maybe if I get over here on this mountain, this job, this house, this 
this new thing, this new phone or this new device or whatever, that's going to make me happy. Right? And so we're constantly changing because we don't really know where hap- true happiness comes from. And we're always pursuing it and looking for it in the wrong places. So we change constantly. But God knows the beginning from the end. And God ordained a plan before He created one molecule of the universe. Right before He laid one foundation stone of all of creation, He knew what the end would be. And He had a plan. And before, before Adam and Eve were born, God knew He would choose Abraham and that He would bless Abraham's offspring. And He was committed to that plan from beginning to end. Right? And He was not going to change. Now, of course, we've seen that God does sometimes change His mind or change in response to human beings. So we saw back when, when the Israelites, two different times when they grumbled, once with the golden calf and another time with the water. And, um, and God said to, to Moses, I am going to completely wipe them out and start over with you. Right? You remember what happened? Moses prayed and he interceded for them. He said, God, you promised mercy and you promised Abraham. And, and, and Moses pled before God for forgiveness. And it says that God did what? He changed his mind. Right? What's important to understand in, in those changes of God's mind, God did not change his purpose. Right? His purpose had always been to bless Israel. And he didn't go against his purpose. He simply said, look, I, I promised I would bless them, but they deserve a curse. And, and Moses came and he pled, he interceded and, and, and uh, on the basis of God's unchanging purpose, said, God, uh, forgive them. Forgive them. So even there, uh, God may respond to our prayers, but His purpose is unchanging. His purpose is unchanging. From beginning to end, He does not waver from His plan. Uh, so, so, so Balak should start getting the message. This is, a, this is, a, this is not going to work, right? God blesses. Lesson number one, God's got a blessing. Lesson two, God's not changing His mind. Uh, but that's actually not the main point of this oracle. The main point is in the next verse. Um, uh, he's probably, well, not actually the next verse. He's, he's, uh, he, he states the blessing. God has not mis- beheld misfortune in Jacob. He hasn't seen trouble. So when you look at their future, it's, it's smooth sailing. It's blessing. Uh, and then uh, he says, the, the Lord their God is with them, and the shout of a king is among them. As I said, this is Hebrew poetry, and there's a lot of parallelism going on here, which we could really analyze and look at. We won't. But in addition to each verse being parallel lines of, of two lines that have parallel ideas, in addition, this is what's called the chiasmus. Okay, sorry for big Hebrew words, but the only way I can explain this is to explain a chiasmus. A chiasmus is a parallel structure where the first line of the poem and the last are, are parallel. Right. So in this one... Um, God has not misheld misfortune in Jacob. Verse 24, Behold the people as a lioness rises up and, and uh, lifts itself up. Okay, those, are, those are parallel. And so it goes the first and the last. The second line and the second to the last line are parallel. And in the center is, is the key idea. Right? Now in English, Westerners, we, we have a main heading at the top. Right? But what this means is that they put the main heading like a bullseye with the target moving in closer and closer in the center was the main point. And the bullseye of this uh, oracle is, is this. 
The Lord their God is with them. The shout of a king is among them. Right? What's his main point here? Uh, his main point here is that uh, not only does blessing come from God, but ultimately the blessing is God. Right? The, the blessing is God himself. Right? This is not just about Israel getting wealth and prosperity and stuff and getting the promised land with lots of grapes and, and fertile crops and fields. No, the point is that the, the blessing of Israel is ultimately that God himself is in their midst. He is with them. Um, and and he, is, he is the ultimate thing that they need. Right? And this is important for us when we think about blessing and joy in our own life. Right? Uh, I, I know a lot of people, in fact, I don't know, I don't know of anybody who doesn't want heaven. Right? Have you ever talked to somebody and say, like, if you could go to heaven or hell, which would you choose? How many would say hell? Well, actually, some do, <laughs> because they say, well, that's where my friends are. Um, that's brilliant, uh, brilliant. Um, but most people want heaven, right? Most people want paradise. Uh, they want good things. And, and I, I would say that uh, many people are trying to create that for themselves here and now. Right? They're, they're buying houses or things or arranging their life so that we can have some, something of heaven now. What I think is, is interesting is how many people want heaven but really don't want God, Right? Uh, they want the blessings of paradise, but they want uh, they want a paradise where they're in charge, not God. Right? If God has to be in control and if they have to bow to Him, they want no part of it. Right? They want a heaven where they get all the good stuff and they get to be God. And the reason is that we wrongly think we cannot have joy in our life unless we are in control. Right, unless I am in charge. Because certainly I'm the only one that really knows how to make myself happy and, uh, and have gladness. And so I want to be in control so I can arrange, so I can manipulate and make heaven be what I want it to be to meet my needs so I can be happy. And that's how the world looks at it. So of course everybody wants heaven uh, and they want the, the joy and gladness that they think it will bring, but they misunderstand this basic truth. Joy and gladness, blessing, are found in God alone. Like, we should put this on our bathroom mirror and tell ourselves this every day. Because this is a super important reminder. Joy and gladness are found in God alone. Right? Not in any of this stuff. Now, of course, we can enjoy other things through God. Uh, the Reformers told us, you know, we can enjoy and love everything if we love God. But we can never really enjoy anything apart from Him. Right? Um, if we want joy and gladness, it will come because He is in our midst. And as we've been looking through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and this whole thing about God dwelling in their midst, that He wanted them to be a blessed people because He was in the middle of their life. And uh, their whole life is oriented around His presence and being with them. Right? So it is for us. For us, joy and gladness and a life that has any meaning can come about only when, when God is the center of our life and He is in us and with us. Uh, and that's exactly what He describes from there on. And then He kind of uh, winds His way back out the target from the center on His way out. He says, God brings them out of Egypt and He is for them like the horns of a wild ox. 
Uh, there's no enchantment against Jacob. Right? There's no, there's, there is no divination. There's no spell that we can cast because they are blessed because God himself is with them. Uh, as a lion rises up, it lifts itself. It does not lie down until it has devoured the prey and drunk the blood of the slain. Okay, now, at this point, Balak should start really paying very close attention, especially the part about drinking the blood of the slain. Because what he's saying here is that uh, not only is Israel blessed, but the enemies of Israel are in big trouble. Right? You don't want to be an enemy of Israel because God's going to bring about, um, they're going to be like a lion rising up, slaying its victim and drinking its blood. Kind of graphic. A good thing the children leave. <laughs> um, not a pretty picture, right? Uh, so at this point, uh, if I were Balak, I would start thinking, okay, maybe being Israel's enemy is not such a great idea. Maybe I need to change my strategy. Maybe I need to ask Balaam, okay, Balaam, forget the cursing thing. How can I become Israel's friend right? so that they don't eat me? That's what a smart person would do. But Balak proves not to be very smart. Notice what he says. Balak said to Balaam, Do not curse them and do not bless them. In other words, shut up. Stop. Right? But Balaam answered Balak, Did I not tell you all that the Lord says that I must do? And Balak said to Balaam, Come now, I will take you to another place. (laughs) Sound familiar? Let's try this again. Maybe... The third time, it'll be different. Perhaps it will please God that you may curse them from me there. So Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor, which overlooks the desert. And Balaam said to Balak, Build for me seven altars and prepare for me seven bulls and seven rams. And he did as, uh, as he and they offered as before. When Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to look for omens, but set his face toward the wilderness, that is, where, where Israel was camped. And Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel camping tribe by tribe. And here he's probably seeing now perhaps the whole nation of Israel. And the Spirit of God came upon him and he took up his discourse. Here's the third, third oracle. Um, uh, and he begins it this time with a description of who he is as the prophet. The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose, eyes, whose eye is opened. He's acknowledging that God has given him vision and sight. The oracle of him who hears the words of God and who sees the vision of the Almighty. Falling down with his eyes uncovered. Okay, Balaam, this is, this is Balaam's um, career choice as a, as a prophet, but he's never experienced anything like this. Like This is the first time in his life where he has been empowered by the Holy Spirit and he is seeing what God sees. And it causes him not to be puffed up with pride, but to fall down, it says, with his eyes uncovered. Fall down bowing before God in humility at what he is seeing and what he is experiencing. What does he see? He sees this. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob. Your your encampments, O Israel, like palm groves that stretch afar, like gardens beside a river, like aloes that the Lord has planted, like cedar trees beside waters. Water shall flow from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. Because this was in the desert, right? 
This is going on in uh, Moab, uh, which is east of the Dead Sea. If you've ever been to Israel or seen pictures, it's pretty, pretty stark, pretty barren. And, uh, and what he's describing here is that Israel looks like a beautiful, lush, green oasis full of rivers and streams and wa- well-watered crops that are sprouting with bounty. And it's looking forward to Israel and the Promised Land and what God would do to them there as they would experience God's rich bounty. But, but that's just the warm-up. That's not the center. And the bullseye is the next verse, verse 8. God brings him out of Egypt and it is for him like the horns of a wild ox. He shall eat up the nations, his adversaries shall break, uh, shall break their bones in pieces and pierce them through with arrows. He crouched and lay down like a lion and like a lioness, who will rouse him? Blessed are those who bless you and cursed are those who curse you. Which, by the way, is a direct quote from God's promise to Abraham. Blessed are those who will bless you, and cursed are those who will curse you. So here's the center of this one, the main point. God brings him out of Egypt and is for him like the horns of a wild ox. Uh, What is that about? Well, it's about God's amazing work of rescuing and saving Israel from their bondage in Egypt. Uh, But it's interesting that that even though he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's... uh, Got the Holy Spirit poured out on him, and he's speaking these great and powerful words. He uses bad grammar. Because instead of saying, God brought them out of Egypt, he said, God brings them out of Egypt. Right? Present tense. Uh, we, could, we could say, God is in the process of bringing them out of Egypt. Right? What does he mean by that? Uh, well, I think he means simply this that the work of rescuing them from Egypt was just phase one. And that God's blessing is not just rescuing from problems, but it's also bringing them into promise. That God's salvation is not just the beginning point, but it's the complete work of God saving them. And God's salvation was not only bringing them out of Egypt, it was ultimately bringing bringing them into the fullness of blessing in the promised land. Uh, Third major point here is that God's blessing is ultimately the full fulfillment of his saving work in our life. Right? Uh, it's not just that God saved us from sin. Right? And that's a huge blessing. Right? That, that Jesus died for us and that he broke the power of sin and death and that through his, his death on the cross we have grace and forgiveness and all of our past sins are gone. And we've been rescued. We've been brought out from its bondage and its power. Right? That's an amazing blessing. But that's not the end of it. God is bringing salvation. And the the saving work He's doing in your life is not finished yet. Is that a good thing? For me, that's a really good thing. Because I know there needs to be more work done. And the work that God is doing is not just saving us from sin, but transforming us into the very image and likeness of Christ. Right? Salvation will be complete and finished in our life when we are fully like Jesus, where we have been transformed into His image and likeness. And that's an ongoing process in our life that He is bringing salvation. And so His blessing is not only for His past forgiveness, but it's His ongoing work. As Paul said in Philippians 1, And I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He will bring it to completion. 
Um, God's blessing is the full saving work. And here's another amazing truth. Um, we fall. We, we do stupid things. We sin. And it doesn't, it doesn't stop God's saving work in our life. Israel messes up continually. But God's big program of saving them keeps marching forward, marching on. Right? And uh, certainly we, we, we shouldn't take sin casually, and I don't mean to say that. I, I don't mean to say that sin is not serious when we, we mess up. It is. But praise God, it doesn't derail His blessing and His salvation in our life. Okay, last last oracle. Um that this Balak's, Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam. He's super not happy. And he struck his hands together and Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies and behold, you have blessed them these three times. Therefore, go home. <laughs> Short, my, my, my paraphrase. Go home. And by the way, I'm not paying you. Right? Uh, the deal's off. I paid you to curse them and all you did is bless them. And Balaam said, I told you. I told you so. Right? I told you so. Um, but And Balaam will in a moment go home. But before he goes home, he's going to give him some bonus material. Right? It's like at the movie. You know, you go to the movies, really good like Marvel, Marvel movies, you know, and you get to the end of the movie and the credits roll. But you don't leave, right? Because you know there's going to be bonus material. And you have to wait through reading through about a million names. And then, boom, you get, you get bonus material. Well, Balaam's like, hey, even though you're not paying me, I'm giving you bonus material. And he looked, and, and he looked, and this time it doesn't require sacrifice or offerings. He is in the Spirit. Right? The Holy Spirit is on him, and the power of the Holy Spirit, he, he fires off. Uh, the oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God, same as before. But now he adds a new one, and knows the knowledge of the Most High. So long as he's seeing what's going on now, but now God gives him knowledge that reaches deep into the future. Um, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with eyes uncovered. I see him now. I see him, but not now. Sorry. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and it shall crush the forehead of Moab. <laughs> okay. Now, now Balak's really wishing he hadn't even brought this guy. And now is he not blessing Israel? Now he's cursing Moab. He's saying, "Look, there's coming one, a king, right? A star. Uh, in the scripture, a star uh, is is often used to speak of kings. Uh, and and the, if there's any doubt, he says he has a scepter, uh, the the rod of a king. And he is going to do what? He's going to crush the head of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. And then he goes on through the rest. We won't read it, but he goes on with this long list." of everybody that this king is going to annihilate and destroy. Um, and it's a distant time. He says, I see it, but it's not now. Right? It's, it, it's, it's, in, it's in the future. I, I behold him, but he's not near. There will come a king who will defeat every enemy of Israel. Uh, and of course, uh, the kings of Israel, Saul and David and Solomon and even Hezekiah and others, Fulfilled these prophecies. Right? In fact, he talks a little bit about uh, the king who would defeat Agag. Agag was one of the first kings that Saul defeated 300 years later. Right? Um, but but later, later prophets and later Israelites 
uh, after the time of David and Solomon, looked back and saw that uh, David and Solomon were great kings, but they did not completely defeat any of these enemies. In fact, all the way up until the time of the Romans, right before Jesus, all of these enemies plagued them. And then, then they had to deal with the Romans, right? Um, yeah, sure, the Moabites weren't any problem anymore, but now they had an enemy a thousand times worse, Rome. Right? And so long before Jesus, several hundred years, uh, Israelite scholars started seeing this as a messianic promise that a great king, a greater king than David and Solomon would come. And of course, we know that that king was Jesus. Uh, and the point is, not that he would beat Moab, but that he would crush every enemy and defeat every foe. Even, even sin and death. Uh, and not to mention <laughs> Rome and all the other enemies. Um, he conquers every enemy. Um, the writer of Hebrews puts it this way, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool under his feet, quoting Psalm 110. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. See, Jesus Done part one, he has sanctified us. Part two, he is waiting until the day when he will crush every single enemy, not only of Israel, but of us. And we will be blessed. We will be without the fear of any enemy harming us. Let me just wrap this up with a couple of thoughts. Um, This passage, this message... Uh, it's, it's easy for us to read it because it's in the Hebrew Bible and think that this was written uh, for the Israelites in the wilderness. But the amazing thing about this whole story is that this all happened and Israel was clueless of it, right? They, they had no idea as they were getting up cooking breakfast one morning that up on some mountain far away, way far away, there's this crazy king trying to curse them. Right? Uh, the, the legends went on and as I shared last week, uh, there's actually an inscription that uh, was found some 500 years later in, in Israel that recorded much of Balaam's oracles and, and story. So there was certainly some oral tradition. The, the story was floating around for several hundred years, so eventually the Israelites found out about it and they heard it. But, but in Scripture, when God, when God revealed himself, his purpose here was not to reveal himself to Israel. Who was he revealing himself to? Well, partly to Balaam, certainly. He reveals himself to Balaam. But really, who is the audience here? It is Balak. It is Balak. God is saying to him, look, I'm blessing Israel. And the punchline of the whole story is this. Blessed are those who bless you. Blessed are those who bless Israel. And cursed are those who curse you. And what God's saying to Balak is, hey, Balak, here's the thing. I I want to bless Moab. My grace, I am a gracious gracious God who would bless even Israel's enemy, Moab. And I'm telling you how to do it. And the way is not through cursing, it's through blessing. If you would just bless Israel, if you would just come along and say to Balaam, Balaam, how could I bless Israel? Life would be much different for you. You would be blessed because blessed are those who bless Israel. 
You see, the problem wasn't that Balak wasn't listening. It's that he didn't believe it. He did not believe it was true. He understood what Balaam was saying. But he didn't like it and he didn't want to believe it. And he refused to surrender, to submit himself to this God. He said, well, this is is the way it is. And my only hope is to be in the favor of this God. And the way I could be in the favor of this God is to bless Israel. And you see, that's a great reminder for us that the way this works, it really is about faith. We have to believe with all of our heart that God exists and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. And the proof of that faith is what? That we start living like God does. That we become people who are blessing givers, not not, not those who curse. Um, You could trans, maybe, my my paraphrase, uh, God blesses those who bless others. And God curses those who curse others. The sign of a heart that's been transformed, that really believes God is the only one blessings can come from. That the blessing is God himself. And that the blessing is his unfolding salvation from beginning to end. Those are the people that should be blessing givers. So that's why Paul writes in in, uh, Romans, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, uh, God shows his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, we are saved by his life. And that's why Jesus says this in Matthew 5.43, You have heard it said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And here's the next verse. We don't usually say the next verse, but notice the next verse. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. The DNA of our spiritual father is a God of blessing. He wants to show grace to Balak and Moab. And he gives this amazing revelation even to Balak, saying, look, if you would just change, if you would trust me, I want to bless you. Even to Israel's enemy. But he didn't get it. God is a God of blessing. He says, if we love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, it will make us like our Father in heaven. It means we're imprinted with that DNA. How easy is it to do this? To bless your enemies. To bless those who drive you crazy. To bless that coworker who you wish would go away. (laughs) Would get promoted. Like to another world. Um, Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.